Thanks for listening to the church at Severn Run Messages Podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. are ready to have your heart blessed in an amazing way because I know that what you're going to hear today and the spirit in which you're going to hear it has done a whole lot in seeing my own life changed and uh, somebody way better qualified to introduce to you our special guest today is my best friend pastor of Captivate Church partner of the church at Severn Run uh, Pastor Tolly Wilgus thank you guys I was just thinking uh, when I was asked to, to do this introduction that um, today's a special day for me. Um, uh, as a guy that didn't have a dad growing up, God has always supplied um, men uh, in my life at the right season, at the right time. And um, this morning, I'm extremely blessed because um, three of the finest men that I know on planet Earth um, are here in this room. And um, obviously, my best friend, John, who I've known for more than I've known my wife, which is weird, but... We're getting that old now. And, uh, and then about uh, eight, ten years ago, um, when I met Dr. Drew, I was a church planner that um, didn't have, all I had was a dream. And um, Dr. Drew was uh, the, the only pastor in Maryland that uh, put financial support behind our new work. And um, so you guys have been instrumental in the work of Captivate for all these years and it's um, thanks in a, a large, large part because of the investment of Dr. Drew. And then uh, God allowed me to meet your speaker today, Dr. Michael Catt. And um, Michael Catt is the executive producer of many movies, um, Fireproof and Courageous, you may have seen, Facing the Giants and things like that. These movies, they come out of a church, though. They're birthed out of a church called Sherwood Baptist Church. Dr. Katz has been the pastor there for 28 years faithfully uh, in a small town in rural Georgia. And over those years, God has allowed Sherwood Church to just experience the favor of God. Um, it's one of the poorest counties in all of America, um, but yet God has given them an international platform for the gospel. Once I got to Sherwood, I had heard about the movies, but once I got to see up close how Dr. Cat, um, his passion for the city, his passion for the lost, his passion for revival and Jesus falling on, uh, on his people, I started to regret that most people only get to hear Dr. Cat because of the movies. If you were to go visit Sherwood, you'd find a church that believes big, and uh, you have that in common with the man who's about to share with you. So I pray that this morning that your hearts would be open and receptive to the man of the hour, uh, my mentor, and a man I consider a father figure in my own life. Would you put your hands together and welcome Dr. Michael Kapp. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be with you this morning, and I want to ask you to take your Bibles and open to Ephesians 3, Ephesians chapter 3. And Dr. Drew, thank you for sharing your pulpit, uh, that no man takes that lightly who is serious about his calling as a pastor, and I appreciate you allowing me to be here. These verses that we're going to look at this morning have really been our lifeblood. Uh, my personal life verse is, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservant. But really the verses that have defined our church over these last 25 plus years 
have been these two verses out of Ephesians. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. According to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now this picture was taken by a friend of mine, Ken Jenkins, who's a National Geographic award-winning photographer. And uh, people have said he's photoshopped that. It looks a little different now. That's actually about a 35-foot gap. And he sat there all day waiting on that mountain line to jump. And he went back and forth and back and forth because there was kill on the other side. And it's called, that picture is called the leap of faith. When do you take a leap of faith? Where it's live or die, sink or swim, People will mock you and make fun of you or you'll do something big for God. When do you take a leap of faith? These verses have defined us and I want us to claim them today and live in the reality of these verses today so that they are more than a plaque or something on a coffee cup, which sometimes we do with verses like this. We, we make them coffee cup verses or verses on plaques or t-shirts, but we really don't get into the meat of what these verses mean for us and the promise that they are to us. This comes at the end of Paul's doxology of his second prayer in Ephesians, and these truths blow my mind. God can do more than you can imagine. God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can imagine. You say, well, I got a pretty big imagination. God can do more than you can think. God is not limited by our finite mind, nor by our experiences. He is not limited by anything but himself, and he is limitless. He's not limited by time and space. He's not limited by the size of our faith. He is only limited by the sort of our faith. What we put our faith in, what we're resting on, what we're believing in. He's the keeper of promises. Paul says that he is able. Now here's the creator God who went to all the trouble of just speaking a few words and all of creation came into existence. So that's no problem for him. Somebody says, well, why would God go to all the problem and just have people on one planet that he sent his one son to die for people on one planet? Why would God, God go to all that trouble? He said, what trouble? I just spoke and everything came into existence. It's not a problem. I didn't break a sweat. I just said, happened and it happened. Paul is writing in the context of who we are in Christ. And listen, we will never ask God for big things until we understand who we are in Christ. We, we are not who the people that don't like us say we are. We are not who the people that don't think anything of us say we are. We are who we are because of who we are in Christ. And our identity is in Him. And He is coming out of revealing this great mystery that Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ. And so Paul wants us to understand the riches and the power and the glory that is in Christ. And so in light of that, he wants us to pray bold prayers. So the first question is the longest point. 
What is your expectation? What are your expectations when you think of God? When you think of your walk with God, when you think of your prayer time with God, what are your expectations? Typically, God meets us at the level of our expectations. Are you meeting God at the level of your expectations? God's not in the habit of disappointing, but I tell you this, as I I preach in my own church and I preach in other places across the country, I find that the average church member in America is living at a spiritual level of poverty. I'm not talking about economic poverty. I'm talking about spiritual poverty. They don't claim the promises of God. They don't believe the word of God. So let me just ask you a few questions. When you pray, what do you expect God to do? Are you surprised when God answers? When you read the Bible, what do you expect God to say? By the way, this is free. won't cost you anything. When you read the Bible, that's why you read the Bible more than you read books about the Bible. When you read the Bible, you're reading the only book you will ever read anywhere, any place, anytime that the author is in the room present with you to tell you what he meant by what he said. So when you sit down with your Bible and say, man, I'm supposed to have a time with the Lord. I know that. Dr. Drew keeps telling me I ought to be growing in my faith and I ought to be doing this. When you sit down with your Bible, you're not there with a text going, Dr. Drew, what does this verse mean? The Holy Spirit is there to whisper into your heart and say, this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to believe. This is where I want you to have faith. When you come to church, what do you expect? Do you expect for God to work? Do you expect for God to show up? Do you believe that God's going to change somebody's life? Do you believe that He's going to speak to you? The Bible calls us to a higher level of expectation. Why would we live in a ditch when God has called us to climb mountains? So, every promise, every promise of God should lead to expectations. When I see God making a promise, it should lead me to expect that there's some way that God wants to fulfill that promise in my life. But not only that, every command is backed up by His power. God never tells me to do anything that He does not give me the power to do it. So, what do you expect God to do in your personal life? You don't have time to turn there. Let me just read John 14, 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, good luck. Wait, is that what you're... Oh, oh, wait, hold, hold on. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, which means according to the character of God, according to the will of God, according to the word of God, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that... The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now that's from the lips of Jesus. That didn't come from religious television. 
That's from the lips of Jesus. And so here's what happens to us. And you meet people like this all the time because I meet people like this. Well, you know, I've got this crisis. I've got this situation. I've got this problem. There's nothing I can do about it. There's always something you can do about it. You can pray. You can take God at his word. You can cry out to God to meet you at the point of your need. You can raise your expectations. You see, prayer is the secret weapon of the kingdom of God. When we pray, we shoot missiles into heaven for God to redirect to the thing we're praying about. Prayer is our secret weapon. And and looking at, at, at most churches, nobody knows we have one. But the implications of this are staggering. Because Jesus said, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. So Jesus is letting us in on the secret of his earthly ministry. And this is it. Jesus was not the source of his own sufficiency. Now you're going to have to sit on that one for a while. Jesus was not the source of his own sufficiency. Jesus said, I pray, I talk to the Father, the Father tells me what he wants to do, and I do what the Father tells me to do. The Father is my source. Yes, Lord, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. Okay, I'll do that. He said, I am interconnected with my Father. I do not act on my own initiative. I don't act in my own power. I do whatever the Father tells me to do. And when the Father tells me to do it, multiple times in John's Gospel, it tells us that basically the explanation for the messages and the ministry of Jesus is the Father. Now, why is that important? Because those disciples were thinking, man, as long as I got Jesus right here, man, I'm, I'm getting close in the holy huddle. As long as I got Jesus right here, I'm doing good. Jesus said, by the way, guys, I'm about to leave, huh? What? 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 Who, who's going to talk to the Pharisees? Oh, uh, you are? Huh? Who's going to deal with the Romans? Uh, you are? What? What Jesus was trying to teach them was that if you understand your relationship with the Father, then my physical presence is not what you need. I am as powerful and as with you when I am physically absent as I was when I was physically present. Because guess what? If it's tied to the physical presence of Jesus, if I leave and I take him with me back home, he's not with you. Good luck. Have fun. He's, he's with me. He's my traveling buddy. He's, Jesus is going with me. No, Jesus is trying to help them to understand you don't have to be dependent on my physical presence. And if you're not dependent on my physical presence, then my physical absence is not going to make a difference. I'm going to send my spirit to live inside of you and my spirit is going to communicate with my father and he's going to glorify me through your life. So quit getting so uptight. Start praying big prayers. Six times in John 14 through 16, in some form or another, he says, whatever you ask in my name. 
Now, here's what Jesus promises. Jesus promises that they will equal his works and they will exceed his works. They will equal his works and they will exceed his works. You say, well, how is that true? Well, 50 days after the cross, disciples are in an upper room, just a handful of people in a town swarming with tens of thousands of people there to celebrate the Passover. The Spirit of God comes down. Simon Peter, who had just a few days before denies him, preaches a 10-minute sermon and 3,000 people get saved. Today, we preach a three-hour sermon and nobody gets saved because we don't believe what God did when he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. So here's what Jesus is saying. The greater works of John 14, 12 are accomplished by the praying of John 13, 14, 13. How do we accomplish greater works? How do you impact this community, this region, this world for the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do you do greater works than anybody in the neighborhoods around this church or in this region could ever imagine that you could do? How do you stun the world? By believing that God does more than you can imagine. And not limiting God to what you can see, feel, taste, touch, and is in the budget. So you need to understand the underlying principle. Here's the principle. You never undertake more work than can be covered by believing prayer. Don't go out there and run ahead of God and say, okay, God, here it is. We decided we're going to do this and we decided we're going to do that. And, and, And now, Lord, now that we've announced that, don't embarrass your children. You need to come along and come with us. No. You never undertake more work than can be covered by believing prayer. So verse 20 is this pyramid of progression. He is able. He is able to do. He is able to do all we ask. He is able to do more than all we ask. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. He is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Why? Because I go to the Father. The key is that Jesus is making intercession for you right now. Every one of us in this room, for every church that is meeting around the world today, Jesus is making intercession. And the Spirit inside of us is in an agreement. And we just need to get in on the program. We just need to get in line, and we just need to get in the flow of what God is trying to do. What do you expect in your prayer life. Do you pray apologetically or do you pray boldly? Do you pray, Lord, I, I shouldn't even ask you for this. Hmm. Now let me see what Jesus says about that. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Why? Because God recognizes the persistent prayer of people that believe He's the only answer. God does not answer the prayer of, Lord, here's the problem. Now, here's the ways I think you ought to fix it. I've got five suggestions, Lord. If you'd like to call an angel, get a notepad. Maybe he's got a cell phone. Maybe he's got the iPhone 10 before it came out. The angel could just kind of put it in there, and you could kind of text it out to all your friends up there in heaven. It would help them, Lord, if you just take my suggestions. Have you ever tried to be on God's advisory board? It doesn't work. So how do we pray? 
Luke 11 and Luke 18 are both parables on prayer and God is telling us to stretch ourselves in the way that we pray and in what we believe God for. Jeremiah 32, I'll just back up to an Old Testament promise. Uh, Jeremiah's in prison. And you think following God, you wouldn't end up in prison, but Jeremiah's in prison and he's got a sorry relative and the sorry relative comes to him and tries to sell him a piece of land that is in enemy territory. And Jeremiah buys it. Jeremiah buys it because Jeremiah knew the word of God that God was going to deliver his people from captivity and as a witness to all the doubting Baptists that lived in the land that God was never going to do what he said he would do, Jeremiah bought the land in enemy territory that he would never see as an act of faith and as an act of obedience and as a witness to say, I believe the promises of God. And so he buys this farm in enemy territory. He signs the deed and then he prays. And this is what he prays. Jeremiah 32, 16. Then I prayed to the Lord saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Then he talks about the Lord's loving kindness and his great counsel. But that's all the setup for Jeremiah 33.3. Another verse that we've limited to coffee cups. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. God wants us to stretch our prayer lives. God wants us to stretch our faith. God wants us to stretch ourselves. You see, if we are afraid to ask God for big things, we are insulting Him. Here's a father who has every resource we need available to us, and yet we fail to ask Him big things. Why is God moving in third world countries? Why is God moving in the, in the underground church in China? Why is God moving in areas where there's persecution? Why is it that more people have come to Christ in Iran in the last hundred years than have come to Christ in Iran in the last 2,000 years? Because people are praying and they're desperate to see God work. And they're desperate to see God move. They're doing more than praying over their chicken biscuit. They are believing God for great things. You see, if you and I don't expect much, then not much is going to happen. Now, this is a long first point. You're going to be really glad that the last two are shorter. <laughs> As Tolly said, we live in the fourth poorest town in America. We're number 10 in identity theft. Sounds like the kind of place you'd like to buy a house, right? We've gone from a population of 120,000 to about 75,000. 52% single adults. I mean, it is a depressed place. And in the middle of that, God has called us to be salt and light. And God has called us to do things that everybody else tells us we shouldn't be doing. And so in the middle of all that, my first year there, bunch of ladies in the church came to me and said, Pastor, are you going to stand out on the street with us with the signs that say abortion kills babies on Right to Life Sunday? I said, nope, not going to stand there. 
And when I announced to the church I wasn't going to stand there and made a bunch of people mad, and they said, well, he's been here two months and he believes that abortion is okay. Well, you, listen, you can't fix stupid people. <laughs> when I made that announcement, a doctor in our church said, now there's a guy that's got his mind made up. And he gave me $25,000, and we started a crisis pregnancy center and started sharing the gospel with people and doing sonograms telling them there was an alternative to abortion and now we have four in the region last year 37 girls came to Christ that's a lot more effective than holding up a sign I mean anybody can protest it takes hard work to pray and to plant and to grow and to get people to do those kind of things so our inner city is a mess we began to pray Tolly can I have that bottle of water Thank you, sir. So we began to pray about the inner city. Coca-Cola used to have a a bottling plant in downtown. 60,000 square foot facility. And it was on the market to be sold. Nobody was buying it. So I get a call one day. I'm driving down the road and I get a call one day saying, Hey, uh, Michael, if if we were to ever find a way to get that Coca-Cola plant uh, what would you do with it? And I just rattled off about 10 or 15 ministries we could do out of it. The chairman of the board of Coca-Cola Bottling Consolidated, who lives in North Carolina, who I've only met one time, calls the next day and it says, I've told the board to give you that property. 60,000 square feet of property. <laughs> My wife does an inner city Bible study there. We have a men's ministry there. We've feed the homeless there. We've done food distribution. Uh, Last year we handed out about 800 boxes of food, full Thanksgiving dinners, turkeys and everything for families in our community that didn't have anything. Uh, We've worked Samaritan's Purse out of there with the relief efforts with two major storms, just all kind of things that are going on. We do car repair for widows and single moms and uh, we have other churches that partner with us in that. So we, we do that. So we had a school. We were running out of room. We said, Lord, we don't know what to do. We got this school. We got all these kids. And we don't know what to do. And so one day we get a phone call and this guy calls and says, hey, uh, we've got this school. It's 17 acres. It has all the classrooms, all the furniture, has a baseball field, a softball field, and a football field. Uh, would you guys buy it for $250,000? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'd probably do that. And I could go on and on. Our our counseling center, we bought a library across the street from our church, and uh, there were people that were going to try to bid on it to keep us from getting it. And we prayed, and God stopped everybody, and we showed up with a sealed bid, and we bought a 10,000-square-foot library that is now a regional counseling center and does all kind of support groups. We bought it for $240,000 for 10,000 square feet. I want to tell you something, folks. I couldn't have plotted that out in the best strategy meeting I could have ever held. God just said, I will bless people that believe I can do things. Because can I tell you, nobody in our church can take credit for those things. Nobody. Nobody said, well, I'll tell you what, they got some bankers and some smart businessmen and they got people loaded with money. You had not been to our church. Uh, 
I mean, we get, we, our church is like, Vance Pittman says, like a bag of Skittles. I mean, it's just uh, all kind of stuff. And everybody brings in their baggage, but God just shows up. When I announced that we were going to do Sherwood pictures, I got looks like our pastor has lost his mind. We started with Flywheel with $20,000. We didn't vote on it. We're not that kind of Baptist church. I didn't tell anybody before we did. I didn't tell the deacons. I didn't tell anybody. I just got up on a Sunday morning and I said, God's told us that we're supposed to make a movie. We've got a script. We've got an idea. And I believe that God birthed this when we were on a staff retreat and we need $20,000. And if God's in it, we'll get it. And we got $20,000 in five days. Never took an offering, never took pledges. Got $20,000 in five days. When we did Facing the Giants, it was a $100,000 movie. It made $10.5 million at the box office. When, when, Sony Pictures, when Sony Pictures asked us, how do you do what you do? And I said to the vice president that was in charge of overseeing what we did, and we were on the back lot at Sony in Hollywood, and I'm walking down there with him, and Bob's just looking at me and saying, I, I don't get it, Michael. He said, you, what you, you guys make no sense. You show your pictures for free to pastors and then ask them to get their churches to come. I mean, you give it away to all these pastors and then ask them to get their people to buy tickets, and they do it. It makes no sense. You don't spend tons of money on advertising. You, you depend on the church. You film it at your church. You use volunteers. I mean, we had eighth graders holding microphones. I mean, we're really high tech. <laughs> you know, we got guys that get off work. I mean, our, our guy in charge of security was 80 years old. <laughs> and if you look at the credits on the movies, when Russell used to do it, it said, Eternal Security, Russell Cates. Because the only way you could get on property is when you went by Russell, it, he would say, now I want to ask you a question before you come on this set. If you were to die while you're here, do you know that you would spend eternity in heaven? And it's been over and over and over again. And Bob and I were walking by, and it's, God has such a sense of humor. So on one of the back lots are filming Quantum of Solace, a James Bond movie. And we're standing right by another one that they won't talk about what they're filming, and that was the Da Vinci Code. And so Tom Hanks and Ron Howard are right on the other side of the wall of where we are, and I'm here walking around with a $100,000 movie. <laughs> here we are. Those guys have won Academy Awards. I'm just some knuckleheaded preacher from South Georgia in a church that made a movie. But you know what God did? We got a PG rating for Facing the Giants. And the Los Angeles Times put on the front page of their paper, PG must mean pro-God. And it went everywhere. And when people asked me why we did it, I said, look, movies are the stained glass windows of the 21st century. Used two people could walk by and see a stained glass window and tell you a story of the gospel we just make movies because that's what people do. They go to movies. And so out of that, we've seen tens of thousands of people come to Christ. All in a town where it's the last place in the world you would think God would show up. By the way, if you allowed the devil to convince you that you're the last person that God would use, don't listen to that voice. 
Second point, quickly, what are the possibilities? Verse 20 and 21 again. Ron Dunn said, until you and I come to expect from God as we ought to expect from God, it is useless for us to pray, useless for us to organize, useless for us to preach, useless for us to plan and witness, because expectation is nothing more than faith breathing. Your body of faith is not going to be able to live any longer than your expectation puts breath in it. You see, our expectations ought to be set at the level of God's ability. What is God's ability? If I have a need, if I have an issue, what can I expect from God? Now to him who is able. He's able. My expectations ought to be that it's beyond all that I can ask or think. Above all that I can think, above all that I can imagine. Listen, if you knew God could do anything which he can... If you knew God could do anything, what would your prayer life look like? How would you be praying today? Is it possible that God could use you, that God could use this church, that God could use this region of the country as a spiritual catalyst to turn back the darkness? Or do you think, no, it wouldn't happen here. But when I read the stories of revival and when I read the stories of great moves of God, It has happened with the most unlikely people and in the most unlikely places. Let's be honest. If Jesus is able to raise the dead, which he did with Lazarus, is your problem any bigger than that? Is your problem any bigger than two ladies coming to Jesus and saying, our brother is dead, and if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus said, i got something bigger in store for you. Why do you see this? And many believed. Why? Because Jesus did something they didn't expect. According to his power, releases resurrection power. So what I'm talking about is the kind of power that the world cannot ignore. The kind of power that cannot be denied. Third point. What's our position? So that, so that people will say, oh, you know, Michael's a great guy. Sherwood's a great church. Uh, These are great people. I, I tell you, Dr. Drew, man, he's Superman. That's, no. It's not so people will brag on your church. It's not so people will brag on your staff. Look at why he will do this. Look at why he will do more than you can imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, God makes himself available to those who make themselves available to him. Our lid is our availability. And our being available to be part of the answer to what we're praying is the first step to more than you can imagine living. God is able. Am I willing? God is able. Am I willing? Say, well, I just don't know about my situation. Hmm, I bet there was a Jew in Egypt building pyramids with no straw, saying, I don't think God's going to get us out of this place. (laughs) And I bet there were a bunch of them. They probably had a committee meeting. 
There are a bunch of them standing at the Red Sea. Well, another fine mess Moses has gotten us into. Got water in front of us, Egyptian army in the back. Honey, it's been good to know you. We're going to die right here. Should have eaten more bread while we were in the, in the land. Well, here we are. We've been wandering around 40 years. Of this, you know, I've been eating the same thing for 40 years. And now we're at Jericho and got this walled city. And I tell you what, Moses couldn't get us across the river. And now Joshua can't get us past Jericho. Every story in the Bible is a story of God using failed, frail people who took God at his word. Would you pray with me? I want to ask you a simple question this morning during this moment of invitation. I just want to ask you a simple question. I want you to be honest. How many of you today would say, I desperately need, I'm not there, maybe you're not there yet, maybe you are, but probably you're not there yet. I desperately need to step up my eyes of faith and my prayers of faith and my belief in the promises of God. I desperately need, I've got some things in my life that I don't really think God can do. I'm not sure He wants to do them. But by faith, I know that God wants to do more than I'm asking. It might be with a prodigal. It, it might be in your marriage. It might be in your finances. It might be in your witness to your friends or neighbors. I don't know what it is, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just honestly, I'm going to ask you if you know that today... I need to live a more than you can imagine life. I've not been living at that level. I've not been operating at that level of faith and prayer and believing. I need to live at a more than you can imagine life. I want to just ask you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. I need to live there. That's where I need to be. I I need to start asking God for big things. I need to start believing God for big things. I need to start praising God for the big things that He's going to do in my life. I'm not going to be limited by the devil telling me I can't because He can. It's about your availability. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability to God. Now, whatever that is, I want you just right now before the Lord, just you and the Lord, as if you're the only one, and there are people all over this room standing, just as you are the only one, I want you to name the thing that you have been previously thinking God can't, or I've been afraid to ask. And then would you just, with your spiritual eyes on the Father, would you just say, Father, you can, and I'm available. You can, and I'm available. Lord, you see these that are standing, and you see their declaration of desperation and of need of you in some area in their life. And Lord, I don't know what that area is. I don't know them, but I know you. And I know that you are a God who does exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can hope or imagine. Lord, I pray that the greatest days of these Folks' lives 
are ahead. And the greatest days of this church and its ministry are ahead. And that you're going to do something that a year from now, they're going to look back and say, God, you did what we didn't think you could do. And you did it because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession. And the Spirit is in agreement. And we're just cooperating. We're just in the path and in the flow of what you want to do in and through us. And so, Lord, whatever it is, and however you do it, in advance, we praise you and we give you glory. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, feel free to share it with your friends. And as we like to say, love well, live Jesus, and believe big.